Well, Mike, it's uh, it's been a while since we've done one of these shows. Um, I, we've got to we've got to get back onto the the routine of things, um, you know. And for everyone, you know, welcome to another episode of the Hector Mike Experience: Common Sense in an Uncommon World. And I mean, we've got a lot to talk about. We've got um, the upcoming election. I know you've been working on a lot of these different races, as have I. Um, you know, we've got uh, other clients that we've been trying to trying to work with, and. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's like right now, you know, this, that old saying, drinking out of a fire hose <laughs> and it's, uh, and it's, it, it feels that way, but, uh, the end is coming near. We've got five days left until this election cycle. And then, uh, we can let's get a little bit of rest five and, days. Uh, analysis. So let's hope it ends in five days and doesn't go for another two months. You know, that's the part I've always hated the most. And it's like, so I like Tom McClintock, but there was a while, a point in time there. I didn't like him a lot because. He ended up in all these statewide races, and they were they were a little too close to call, mm-hmm. and so that meant I had to go move to Norwalk and live out there for two to three weeks right after the election. Mm-hmm. You know, as they were doing all the counting, and so and at that time there was nothing in Norwalk. I mean, right. there was a couple motels and a couple Chinese restaurants, and that was it. But that's how I spent two to three weeks. It was like it was like clockwork after every election. It was like, okay, another election, damn Tom McClintock. And it was just, you know, living out in Norwalk. So uh good glad I don't have to do that again. But uh, you know, you're we're getting indication from a lot of different folks that uh they may not be may not be able to call the elections, a lot of these elections until you know a couple of weeks after the polls close. And it's just it just seems because We've got a lot of tight races. We've got a lot of investment that's going into it. I just saw the other day, it was a two days ago, that Rudy Salas against David Valadeo there in the in the Valley, $29 million had been spent already on that one race. That one congressional race, a two-year seat, $29 million. And like I said, that was a couple of days ago. So by the time election day is over and done with, I mean, that thing may be at 31, 32, who knows, mm-hmm. million dollars spent. So... There's, there's no shortage of money uh, on either side. There's no shortage of um, the inde- independent expenditures on either side. Um, and, you know, the money is being shifted and moved around uh, in the last week. Um, places that folks didn't think they needed to play, they suddenly find they need to play. Uh, places where people have to play defense, they didn't expect to be playing defense, they have to play defense. So, you know, and the one, you know, and I've, and I've said this, if you want a stock tip from Hector and Mike, here's a stock tip for you. Go out and buy a radio station, television station, or newspaper anywhere in the state of Georgia, because what's going to happen almost certainly is that the U.S. Senate race in Georgia will probably not be decided on election day because you have to get 50% plus one. There's a libertarian candidate that's running who will take some votes away from Herschel Walker. Uh, and so that'll go into a runoff on December 14th, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And literally, it will be the only race in the country. Well, and- explain, that, explain that one a little bit, because I know for a lot of folks, you know, we look at November 8th as being the end of election, right? We look right. at, for us, it's the general election, it's over and done with. But what you're saying is here in Georgia, it's not. No, it's... What happens is, and it happens in a lot of Southern states, they have a runoff. So what we had, let's say back in June here in California, we had three or four people running and nobody got 50%. 
and so it goes to the election in November. They don't have that in places like Georgia. In Georgia, on election day, for someone to win, they have to get 50% plus one of the vote cast. And if they don't, then what happens is the top two vote getters will then go into what they call a runoff that usually takes place six weeks after. So I think it's around the 16th of December or 14th of December with only those two candidates. So I think on the governor's race, that will probably be decided. All of the other state races will probably be decided. But the race in Georgia for the U.S. Senate has three candidates. Now, there's two major candidates, Warnock, the Democrat, Herschel Walker, the Republican. But there's a libertarian that will probably, the feeling is, draw just enough votes that prevents either one of those two from getting to 50 percent plus one. That's why they'll have an, uh, an election just uh, in Georgia. I think that's probably the only place that's going to happen. And that means every candidate, interest group, third party interest, PAC, you name it, is going to be spending money in Georgia because it's, it's conceivable. I don't think it will happen, but it's conceivable that the winner of that race may decide who controls the United States Senate. And that's, so, a, good, that's a good point you bring up because... Right now, there's there's the um, we've got the control of Congress, which we've got the the House of Representatives, and then we have the, the U.S. Senate, and so right now, you know, it, all the different political pundits are saying that Republicans are going to end up probably taking control of of the House of Representatives, which means Nancy Pelosi will no longer be the the, the speaker, right? And um, but the, but the big fight, a, a huge fight, is happening over in the U.S. Senate. Yeah. Um, right now, it is. It really. You've got um, Kamala Harris, who ends up breaking the ties um, for the Senate. She is a, as a vice president. She is a fifty-one fifty-first vote or fifty-one vote that comes into the Senate. But should should we end up in a deadlock of fifty-fifty again, or a, a situation not fifty-fifty, but a situation where it may be that uh, that particular race in Georgia where that determines whether or not um, Republicans control the the Senate or maybe Democrats control the Senate by the, by one vote. Right. It, it, I think the general feeling right now to be an optimist on the Democrat side is that it stays at 50, 50 and, right. and Kamala gets called out of the bullpen and casts a vote when needed. Um, on the Republican side, there's a few, there's several States that have been in play throughout the whole cycle going back as far as last year. And within the last month, as you've seen polling start to turn and issues start to solidify, you you see um, other places that Republicans did not have on their map as places they might win. Washington State is one of those places, of all places. The, the Republican, I think her name is Smiley, is one point behind incumbent Democrat Patty Murray, who everybody thought was safe. New Hampshire, the other side of the country. There's a, a, a Republican, Dan Boldick, who won the Republican primary in September. And and uh, Hassan, uh, Jean, I think it's Jean Hassan, who's the senator there, um, is currently, I think, one or two points down to him in the polls. So there are a couple of races that have popped up that they didn't expect. Um, and so it could be, it could, it could be that one race in Georgia. And if it is, then you can expect if you own a radio station or TV station or a newspaper, 
that everybody and their brother is going to be throwing cash on your desk saying, I want to buy ads. I want to buy this. I want to buy that. I want to buy balloons. I want to buy airplanes. I want to buy anything I can buy. So well, um, maybe you and I just move over to Georgia for, for that uh, month or so forth. And we broadcast out of there. <laughs> I wouldn't mind doing that. <laughs> Literally every other political operative in the country is going to be there. It's going to be, yeah. And this happened by the way, in 2020. I mean, if you, you know, in 2020, everybody was talking about the presidential, but it happened again in 2020. There were actually two Senate seats up in Georgia um, at that point in time. And both seats went to a runoff and the Democrats won both seats. And that's how they were able to get to 50. And I mean, literally every political operative that I know, and that's a lot of them, were in Georgia from, you know, forget Thanksgiving. They, they were eating pecan pie for Thanksgiving, you know, forget pumpkin pie. Um, you know, they were down in Georgia starting usually, I think it was like the Thursday after election. Uh, and they were there until... I forgot what date it was, but they were there till mid-December. Yeah. So it, it'll, well, it, be it'll be an, an interesting one be to interesting watch. Thing. But here, here a little bit closer to home, you've got uh, today, you've got President Joe Biden that is out in California campaigning. You know, he's been out here. He's been out here before. I think Does he was out he here about that? a week, week and a half ago. And the other interesting part is he's he's been sending out Joe Biden out there. You know, there's a lot of folks that, a lot of candidates that have not wanted Joe Biden because of his low approval numbers. And so they've been sending out his wife, uh, Joe Biden, to to go out and campaign. And, I, we, you know, it's interesting. We've seen a, a nice, a, a big shift in what we thought were going to be some of the salient issues here in California, as in other parts of the nation. You know, there was a, you know, a lot of it being the economy. But then, you know, after the Dobbs case um, that basically undid Roe v. Wade, we, you know, there was there was a shot in the arm for de for Democrats, and we saw what happened. I think it was uh, Virginia, you know, where where there was uh, I, was it more Missouri? I think it was where they tried to do some sort of um, change the law to make it more restrictions on abortion rights, and that got I got eliminated. I mean, this just got eliminated by by the voters. Kansas, um, got it was pounced. in Kansas. Oh, it was in Kansas. Okay, it was in Kansas. Nobody expected it, but but yeah, it did get a, it it failed. Yeah. And so, you know, that became a kind of a rallying cry for the Democrats saying, hey, look, we've got an issue here in California. You know, the governor, um, smart, he put together Proposition 1, put it on the ballot, didn't do a very good job of, of writing it well enough, but uh, he's got it on the ballot. And, you know, that has become, for the Democrats, I mean, when we see the ads coming back and forth, a lot of it are just are focused on abortion. Right. And yet you've right. got Republicans that are focused on jobs, crime, homelessness, and kind of the bread and butter issues for, for a lot of voters. And so um, you're beginning to see kind of that, that interesting shift in how people are, are spending that money. Well, uh, let's just start with what you started with, which is Joe Biden is in California six, five days before an election. Um, Kamala Harris was in Massachusetts yesterday, five days before an election. Jill Biden was in Rhode Island uh, two days ago six days before an election. If that doesn't tell you the state of the Democrat party and campaigns, nothing does. The fact that they have to be in California as opposed to in Ohio or Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin or Arizona tells you all you need to know. The fact that they take the vice president of the United States and send her to Massachusetts 
to campaign for a woman who's running, Democrat woman running for governor, who would probably win if the woman fell asleep and woke up the day after the election, tells you all you need to know. And the fact that, and I know this for a fact, Jill Biden in Rhode Island was there for the Democrat governor who's in trouble and pulled in all of 60 people to a reception. Okay, so that tells you everything you need to know. The fact of where they are spending their time as you come closer to the election speaks volumes. But it also speaks volumes if you listen to the president last night um, speaking at Union Station. And and if you did, you, you should have had your head examined, just as an aside. But, you know, he talked about the threat of democracy and the threat of this and the threat of that. He never talked about the threat of not being able to afford gasoline in your car so you can go to work. He never talked about how it's going to cost you three times more back east in home heating oil than what it did last year. He doesn't talk about how much more it costs you to feed your kids. He doesn't talk about the security or lack thereof that you feel in your home and in your community or at the border. And those are the things people, all the polls show that's what people care about. And we talked about this a long time ago, relatively speaking, a few months ago. Yeah, the abortion issue is a big issue for some people, um, but it is also something that is not an everyday issue for people. Every day when people are getting up and trying to fill the gas tank, trying to buy their food, trying to make that dollar go further, trying to figure out are they going to be able to afford you know, their prescription drugs, trying to figure out how they're going to put the, the gas in the tank, wondering when that heating oil bill comes. All of that kind of stuff has created fear and uncertainty. And, and the other one I just want to throw into that equation is Wall Street. Now, you know, you've got, what's her name? Uh, Warren and Sanders and all of that crowd, you know, beating the hell out of Wall Street. And they seem to forget that there are a lot of average Americans who are not richy rich that are on Wall Street. They're there with their mutual funds. They're there with their 401k investments. They're there with their retirement accounts. And all of those things are getting the shit kicked out of them. And people are watching their retirement benefits go down the drain that they have built up over time because the market is tanking. Those are the things that impact um, everyday people. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what party you are. It affects everybody. And that's where American voters are right now. And it's for, for the Democrats, for the administration, it's the worst place that voters could be. Right. And, um, and except that's, in California. Know, that, well, I, you know, California just always seems to be an anomaly. But I think for a lot of folks, too, is that, you know, we're we're seeing and, and um, I got you know asked to kind of write about this uh, not too long ago, which is why Hispanics are now leaving Democrats or not not willing to vote for Democrats and why they're they're kind of going toward the Republican Party. And it's not that they're re-registering. It's just that for for a lot of us, you know, for a lot of Hispanics, we're you know we're seeing our life savings just kind of get get sliced down. For mm -hmm. a lot of folks, they're you know they they want to they care about the the high, high cost of housing. They care about the taxes. They care about I mean just just a simple thing of putting gasoline in your in your vehicle. You know, there's all this there's all this tug and pull right now and. You've got OPEC, you got Russia, you got all these other countries that are decreasing production. And um, 
and yet we're paying for it at the pump. You got Gavin Newsom running around, and I think you know we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more later. But you know, going out there and saying you know trying to blame everyone else for what's happening, and it's, and at the end of the day, it's we walk out of our homes, and for a lot of families that have to walk their kids to school, I mean, they have to walk around these homeless tents. Mm -hmm. They they they're you know they they continue to see on TV is the crime or someone getting shot down the street, and at the same time, everything's just costing more. Right. And so I, th I think there's there's a sense of frustration where it's, okay, where's something going to change? Now, unlike almost every other state in the union, maybe except for Hawaii and, and, and obviously California, it's like, I don't think people really care. That's, that's the thing that, that is, that bothers me the most is that here in California, whether it's the sun, whether it's the rays or I don't know what the heck it is, but it's like people just kind of just want to go about their way. And it's like, oh, you know, it's just, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And and it's just it's like I, I talk to some of these folks and I'm like, you really want to make a, a change or difference? Vote opposite the way you normally have. Right. And that will send a rallying cry to the people saying, oh, shoot, maybe I got to start paying attention to uh, to your issues. It's it's the old Seinfeld episode where Costanza, George Costanza decides to do the opposite of everything that he's done his whole life. And that's what, and that's what they need to do here. Or, or, you know, but I think you're right. It does reflect a certain acceptance in California of the way things are. I think one of the other things that's worth talking about as well, that's on the minds of American people is that is the fact that one of the things the pandemic did is it, it opened the door or pulled the curtain back on what goes on in our public schools. Parents before the pandemic were like, I take Johnny to school, I take Mary to school, I drop her off, she goes in, she does her thing, she comes home, she does her homework, plays with her kids and whatever. And suddenly because the pandemic was there and there was home, you know, teaching from home and all this other stuff, the parents suddenly had a whole lot more involvement. And you see a whole new group of political activists arising amongst parents. Because again, you have one side of the Democrat party that wants to talk about transgender kids in athletics. And you know, you sent me something last night about how transgenders are being discriminated against because they need a voter ID, which is, you know, just, uh, you read it and it's laughable, but because they have an ID. I mean, that's all they need is they need the ID. I mean, it doesn't have to be what they think they are. Your driver's license says, you know, is your ID and you show your ID and that's it. But but that kind of stuff, you know, the the critical race theory stuff, the, the whole that whole curriculum thing now has been exposed. And so you see more of a grassroots movement among parents that are saying we're going to get involved and we're not going to let this happen in our community. And that's a whole new group of activists that weren't there before. And, you know, I mean, I will say that Joe Biden has said, you know, you judge us on our record. And I think that's what people are going to do next Tuesday. They're going to judge on the last two years of what has happened. And, you know, they can say anything they want. They It's just not having tr enough traction with voters. They can outspend Republicans 80 to 1. But if people don't believe it, you could spend a hundred to one and it's not going to make a difference. And that's what's happening right now to them. And it couldn't have happened to a nicer group of people because the last two years have been pretty shitty out there. Let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, 
what's your what's your what's your prediction out here in California? You've got uh, obviously we've got a lot of ballot measures, um, but I think really the the thing that ends up uh, the greatest focus is what happens legislatively and what happens in Congress. You know, I think legisl you know legislatively we've been looking at all these races. I, Republicans have have a huge deficit to try to make up legislatively, and I don't think they're going to be able to make that up. I mean, I'm hoping that they could keep what they've got, if not maybe increase one or two seats, which is kind of a sad place it's, to be at uh, in the state yeah. legislature. But I think congressionally, I mean, I know we've, we've made some inroads uh, con for congressional seats over the last cycle, and I think we can um, try to increase some of, those, some of those seats now that we have here, here in California. I, I think... I think California, there's two things. There's the state and the federal in California. In the state, you know, we had, we had a good candidate who was grossly underfunded on the Republican side. And so Gavin Newsom, you know, probably walks away with that. And that has a ripple effect down the ballot in state legislative races. There's no doubt about that. On the congressional side, however, I think California, what they've, what, what's been done in California is a great model that other states can follow and that we have candidates who connect with and are part of the communities that they represent. Mike Garcia, David Valadeo, Michelle Steele, Young Kim. I mean, they are great candidates by any stretch of the imagination. They're, they're hardworking elected officials and they've run good campaigns. So I think all of those things combined, it does, again, it doesn't matter if the Democrats are outspending them three to one or four to one. They're doing the things they need to do. They've been doing them the last two years. They're representative of their community. And even though California may not have big wins on the state level next Tuesday, I think you'll see those folks win. And I think you may see a couple of more tilt to the Republican side. 